Welcome to episode 50 of Reading Between the Reels. I'm your host, Craig Dickinson. Now, normally at this point, I'd be joined by Matt Leader, uh, but Matt has decided to step away from the show for a while, and we wish him well. Uh, but for the next handful of episodes, we have a very special guest co-host, Jeff McGee. Thanks for being here, Jeff. Thanks for having me. And, and he means special in the, uh, the, uh, the, the sense that uh, it, it takes a special kind of person to deal with me. So, uh, yeah. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm excited to be here. I, you know, I, all the podcasts that I do, I never get, I don't get to talk movies that often. So I was very excited. And you said, great, we're talking about a TV show for the first time out. <laughs> exactly. Which is also good because it's right in my wheelhouse. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I'm glad we, to be here. Yeah, we, you know, we talked the other day um, about what episodes we, would be coming up. And, and you'd mentioned that you guys had covered this for, uh, for the pilot show. The pilot uh, episode, right? The pilot episode. Yeah. And, and, uh, so I got a chance to listen to that, and 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 I told you this too that you know I was kind of talking back to the podcast repeatedly. So I'm <laughs> hoping that a lot of those things come up here uh, as well. But uh, I think it'll be fun because we have very different experiences um, with Alias, which is I should mention that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Alias, uh, the pilot episode of Alias. It's called uh, Truth Be Told. The first episode uh, was released September 30th, 2001. So I cannot believe it's over 20 years old, but right. it is. And it's uh, been two years since we recorded it for the for the pilot episode. And I would I would encourage, and this is not just a shameless plug; it's partly a shameless plug. Uh, everybody to go check out that episode uh, either before or after you listen to this one, so that you can hear uh, what we thought about it. Craig Craig was uh, a, a bit dismayed at our opinion of the episode <laughs> on that podcast. Yeah, no, that's fine because I want you know I. I, I enjoyed it. I definitely want to, you know, people go look at that. And I downloaded a whole bunch of, I started scrolling through. I'm like, oh, I love that show. I love that show. I love that show. And, you know, whether you agree with me or not, I think it's it's interesting. So it's probably more interesting when you disagree. Agree. Um, so, yeah, I'm all good with that. I think Ted Lasso is the one I have to queued up next. So I'm pretty excited about uh, checking the rest of those episodes out. Um, but We love <laughs> that one. <laughs> yeah, that's that would be, I'd be shocked if, if you didn't like that one. Well, because we're uh, all thinking rational human beings. There you go. <laughs> so, so Jeff, I'm just going to go ahead and, and start us off with uh, your overall thoughts on this viewing of Alias Truth Be Told. What did you think about it overall? Okay, well, so I'm coming at it from a maybe a different perspective than 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 you are, because I do have the the background of watching it for the pilot episode. So I'm looking at it as how does this work as an episode on its own and how does it set up what came later? And I only know what came later by reputation because I've only ever seen the pilot. So I will say as pilot episodes go, it's really not awful. Uh, it does what it needs to do. It sets up the world. It introduces us to the characters. It sets up the main conceit. It's, it's a very well done show, but it just didn't make me want to watch more of the series. Uh, and most of that is because of the, the pacing of this episode and the music really dates the show. It's weird. It's 20, 21 years ago, but it reminds me like if you were to go back and watch a show like my so-called life that is very much of its time of the, the, the early to mid nineties, I feel like you'd have the same reaction to it as, as I did watching this episode because the, the music just, there's, there's a very small window of time where the music on this show was very popular and they went whole hog with it. And that, along with the pacing, it just seems a bit slow. And I know that a lot of that is because this episode is is longer than a typical episode. So I really should, uh, to to maintain my intellectual uh, honesty, really should go watch the next two or three episodes to see how those work. But 
I will say I do think I had a better experience with it this time than I did two years ago when I watched it for the pilot episode. So on the upside there, it's growing on me. Okay. Yeah, I've seen this. Well, let me ask you this real fast. Which which version did you watch? Did you watch this on, on Disney Plus? Did you watch it on Amazon Prime last time? Like, or did you watch it on the DVD? Because it is the last different. this time I watched the Disney Plus version. I didn't realize there was a difference. Uh, mm -hmm. The time when we watched it for the pilot episode, I believe we watched the Amazon Prime version because it wasn't on Disney at the time. Okay. Yeah. I was going to mention this later too, and that the you mentioned the music and I think mainly what you're referring to is, is Giacchino's or Giacchino's score. No, the um, score is great. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. I mean like the pop music they used in it. Ah, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, good. Because well, actually, it's kind of both. Actually, I take that back. Okay. The Giacchino score is, and I love Michael Giacchino. I, his yeah. score for Rogue One is one of my favorite scores ever. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, his score, it's it's very it is very much of its time. It's got that very sort of electronic feel. But but more than that, it's the um, the the the, uh, the the pop music that they used in it. OK, well, I'm going to put a pin in that. because We'll get to that when we get to music. But okay. um, there there is something to be said about that because I watched it both ways. I um, this time I watched it. I bought the DVD. I, I love this show. I'm full disclosure. I've, I've seen this show all the way through four, five, six times. Uh, wow. I watched, uh, yeah, I watched it when it was on. I did not watch this episode though. I, I didn't see it until like two or three episodes in. And one of my friends, uh, Aaron Erickson was like, you need to be watching this show. And so I, I started watching it and then I was able to catch up fairly quickly. Uh, and then as soon as it was released on DVD, um, went down to blockbuster Hollywood video that dates me a little bit, uh, and, and grabbed it and caught up. So I've nice. seen it a lot and I watched it two more times this time. One time, like I said, on DVD and one time on um, Disney plus, but this time, the first time I watched it, I was actually kind of watching it both ways as I was kind of pulling things away. I was like, Oh, I wonder if that pop song is here. Uh, and I'll talk more about that when we get to get to the music, but long story short, I mentioned this before. I, I love this show for me. This is the thing I keep coming away with is that this is the thing that gives JJ Abrams street cred for me. Like I will okay. always forgive him because I love this show so much. And it is, this is like completely JJ Abrams. It's his, you know, he wrote it, directed it. He wrote the opening music. The theme song is that's JJ Abrams too. Like they could not be more JJ Abrams, like everything else, even like Felicity and Matt Reeves is involved in that lost. He's only really there for the pilot and then kind of leaves that fringe, same kind of deal. But alias, at least the first season was very much, this is JJ's vision. Um, and it, you know, it's an original property. And so it's kind of like, maybe if he's able to just do, and you know, you get that with super eight a little bit too. Like when he's kind of just turned loose and he has his own thing to do, he kind of, I think it's, it's a better experience, uh, for the viewer, if that makes sense. True. I, I did like his, I did like his first star Trek movie. I did like that a lot into darkness. My mileage varied a little bit, but I did like his first star Trek yeah. as well. Yeah, and, and I was going to talk about this later, but now's as good a time as any, is I really liked Mission Impossible 3 when that came out, and I believe that's his first you know, uh, feature film, and it because it feels very much like an episode of Alias. And you know the, the story goes that Tom Cruise binge-watched the first two seasons of Alias, and then it was like, I want that guy to make the next Mission Impossible movie. And it does, it feels like that, even down to Greg Grunberg showing up in it. But it, of like, course. Yeah, no, it's the, with the music, it feels a little bit more like a CW show for the first mm -hmm. part. And then the, the, the balance that you know, it strikes between the personal life and the uh, the espionage side of the life is very alias. And I was just like, yeah, this feels like alias. This is so fun. 
And um, to be fair, to be to be fair, uh, you are not the only person I know who loves this series. I have several friends who swear by it, yeah. so it, it's possible that I am missing something, and that if I go back and watch, if I watch the second episode, it'll finally like everything will fall into place, and uh, and I will love it. So I will I will do that for you, <laughs> and then I will report back. Yeah, I would I would very much like like to hear what you think because you know, especially when you talk about the pacing is this isn't really a spoiler, but after this, most of the first two seasons end on a cliffhanger it really is very much like it starts you know this one starts with a cold open which a lot of jj Abrams stuff does uh which is you know a great way to get the audience in, involved but most of the time most of these shows start with hey this is what happened last week Let's pick it up from there and then ends again in the middle of a sequence and so every episode ended with oh my gosh i want to wait i can't wait till next week so when that end title card came up you're like oh man i gotta wait so and that there, really, there is there is a there is a perfect moment that this episode should have ended in my opinion that I'll I'll talk about a bit later. Yeah, perfect. Okay, so let's go ahead if if you don't mind, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the cinematography um, from this episode. Now this uh, this won the Emmy for outstanding cinematography for a single Not camera surprising. series. Yeah. No, uh, Michael Bonvillain, um, who's done a lot of great stuff. Uh, worked on 44 episodes of Alias, a ton of different stuff. He also worked on Felicity, Lost, Fringe. So he's a J.J. Abrams guy. Cloverfield, and that's Matt Reeves. So that's basically J.J. Abrams. He's done a lot of TV shows. Um, also did Peacemaker recently. So that's kind of fun. Um, was Which there was, anything yeah, that, that was great? Yeah. Uh, was there anything that stood out to you, composition, color, or camera work that you were just like, yeah, this is really interesting? Yeah, I have I have a couple of thoughts about all three. Uh, the the camera work overall, I th felt like was very cinematic. Uh, the camera's constantly moving, which sort of belies the tight schedule that TV shows are forced to work on. And we hadn't seen that as much in the early the early aughts, as I'll call them at that point. You know, we're sort of living in the, the they call it the platinum age of television right now. Actually, not even the golden age; it's the platinum age uh, where we're sort of spoiled to to having cinematic views on our televisions. And this was one of the first shows that really, uh, I know you just watched the French connection recently. And it, I, it, I, it's, there's sort of a cor correlation there to me. This is sort of camera work wise is sort of the French connection of TV series, because this was the first time we'd really seen that sort of frenetic, uh, constantly moving camera and it, and it works. Uh, the colors in it are nice and vibrant in keeping with the sharp sheen of the show. And again, very much of its time. You've got a lot of that in the early aughts. And the the and the camera work, as I mentioned, it's sort of it's it's cinema level theater uh, camera work. The only the only uh, thing that I would have liked to have seen would have been a difference in like the color saturation between the scenes where she's on the job and the scenes in her quote unquote normal life to sort of differentiate those a little bit. Maybe pull some of the color out when she's in her her quote unquote normal life. Um, that's just something I've kind of gotten spoiled to in watching films like Traffic. Um, and I just think that's there, there's some language there that I think could be played with that would have been a little more interesting. But overall, uh, yeah, I have no complaints whatsoever about the camera work. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I think that, um, you know, this is one of those early, I mean, we talk about this is 2001. It's we're just starting to get into widescreen television, right? Like not, not the, not the television sets in themselves, but the way it's presented, right? So it starts to look more cinematic when it's, you know, it's not, not four, three. So that's a, that's a good catch. Uh, yeah, the color is interesting that it is pretty much the same in both sides of her life. I did find it interesting that there was kind of a uh, a golden uh, light in both the interrogation scene at the beginning and then also in the lecture hall. 
which are kind of both tests in a way. So I thought True. that was kind of that's, an that's interesting point, yeah. And it also, you know, it sets up with that. You have that, that, that smash cut. You guys talked about this on, on the pilot episode too, where she's looking at the door, looking at the door, looking at the door, and then it opens. And then it's actually the flashback that the door is opening in. Uh, so it kind of right. bridges those two, which is interesting. Um, but, you know, color wise. So I have to mention all the red. I mean, this is definitely a JJ Abrams thing. You know, red's typically passionate. But no lens angry. flare. That I no, noticed. no, no lens. <laughs> I did not see that. But you have, of course, you have um, the red room that she enters going into SD6 where it kind of scans her. Um, it's got the red wig, of course. So we talk about there's the red ball in the Mueller device. And what's weird is I'd seen this so many times and never made the connection, but she's wearing that red shirt in the parking garage where, you know, the SD6 guys are coming after her for the first oh, time. Yeah. I was yep. like, yeah, this, I, mean, I watched it twice just now and only cut it on the second time. I'm like, there it is. This is something important you're supposed to be paying attention to what exactly that is you know i'm not, there are key moments essentially is, is what you're saying i think yeah and it's 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 sort of it works on a subconscious level because it's not something that you you notice but it sort of warms its way into your brain and you you start to pick up okay when i see red i know something is about to happen kind of like when you heard the 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 jaws theme in jaws when you heard the two notes you knew the shark was present right but i did notice i mean a lot of it is like, have you, have you watched Felicity? I have not. I, I'm only familiar with the haircut. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, so first off, Jennifer Garner was on that as well. She had a very small part on that uh, and was very mousy in that show as well. Um, it's very different from Sydney Bristow in this. Um, but a lot of this feels the, her personal life, the not spy side feels very much like Felicity. You know, it is very much, like I mentioned there, like kind of that CW thing with like the current pop music is playing. There's a lot of right. close shots, you know, um, like American to close up shots, even in, in like when she's doing her spy thing, there's not a lot of wide shots and that stuff, except for when we're seeing the stunts, which you see a lot of, she's doing a lot of her own stunts, um, which is fantastic. This is also won awards for, um, for stunt work, which is, which is fun. And there's one great, uh, great crane shot when they go into the party, which I loved, it was just one long continuous shot when they first get in there and you see it's oh, looking at Dixon and it pans over to her on the corner. I think it's the only really long shot in the, uh, I was going to say in the film because it feels uh, it does. cinematic. Uh, but it was, I thought, yes, okay, that's what we're talking about. We're getting to this very cinematic uh, production. Yeah, they're use, they, they really are. They're using the language of cinema in a television show and we hadn't seen that a whole lot. I'm not saying this was the first show to do it, but it's, it's the first one I think that did it uh, to this level. I sure. feel like. Okay. Uh, anything else you want to talk about with the visuals or cinematography before we move on to sound? Uh, no, other than that, you know, you, you mentioned color. We'll get into this a little more with like the, the makeup and costumes and everything, but uh, you know, color is something that is, that is very uh, prevalent in this. And one thing I did like is that, you know, I mentioned that we didn't have a whole, any difference in the look between the, the, the non spy stuff and the spy stuff, but there is definitely a difference in the color of the costumes and everything, because it all in the non spy stuff, it's all very, for the most part, except for that one scene where she's wearing the, the red in the uh, parking garage, it's fairly muted, a lot of earth tones and things like that. Uh, so that, that is something that, um, that I did notice and did want to take note of, but again, that's more costuming than it is yeah. camera work. These things, these things all blend together. So it doesn't right. matter. We might pick it up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mentioned clothing earlier when I mentioned the red, so not a big deal. Um, so effects, sound effects in this one. Um, my favorite is the Nokia ringtone. 
because that's it's <laughs> it's so dates and the Nokia ring. Yeah, speaking of dating is, it, yeah, it is in this show a lot. Spoiler alert: There's lots of. And I think you guys mentioned the pilot episode too that like there was like a Nokia ad like at the beginning and maybe at the end. Otherwise, other than that, it ran commercial free. Yeah, sponsored by Nokia, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm like they're using it all over the place. Uh, I love how it started with kind of the muffled underwater, and then you kind of just hear a heartbeat in the background. Super engaging way to to, to grab our attention. Oh yeah! Again, the, the the again cinema level quality on this one. Uh, I thought you know it, it. The thing is the sound. The only time sound really stands out to me is if it's bad, mm-hmm. uh, if it's something that this is not working. And the fact that all of the sound works on this, I think, is a tribute and a credit to the sound designers because everything, everything just sounded right. I guess is what I would say. Yeah, uh, and that's that's kind of the best thing I can say. It's kind of like editing. You you shouldn't notice. You shouldn't notice good editing. You sh- some people say you shouldn't notice a score. But I, I kind of go back and forth on that. But uh, yeah. I, I just kind of feel like sound and editing kind of work together and that if they're working properly, you're not really paying attention to either one. You're feeling it, but you're not noticing it. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the case here. Yeah. And to kind of build off that, you know, the, the feeling uh, aspect of it is, you know, when they have that conversation in the shower, she starts it and then it cuts away and all, you have this very wide, uh, long shot and you see them in silhouette and you can only hear muffled what's happening. You don't even actually get to hear the conversation, which is interesting. So you do, you know what the conversation is. You don't have to hear the words, um, but it's like the muffling is almost more powerful because you know that they're not really communicating at that level. You know, right. the words are coming out, but the the message is having a hard time getting through. So interesting that's, that's choice. A very good point. Yeah. So I want to talk about the soundtrack. So uh, I believe this is the first television show that Giacchino did had done he, he had done a lot of video games and then so this is kind of thank you jj you brought you know you gave us the gift of giacchino yes um thank you for that and yeah so he has this interesting mix of of orchestral strings and then of course is that you know electronica stuff the rock there's a little bit of a mix of that rock electronica which it's, is i very, would have sworn the dust brothers or the chemical brothers did this <laughs> it is very honest, early yeah. 2000s and i love it i know it's dated i don't care I, I, it's awesome to me. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And, you know, maybe that's part of that's nostalgia glasses. Cause I watched it when it was on and that's, that's fine. Possibly. I love the opening theme too. Yeah, possibly. And again, I, I don't, I have less of a problem with that than I do the, the choice of, of pop songs that are used in it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it does work and, you know, you kind of, you kind of expe- accept it. It's kind of, it's kind of like watching a show from the eighties, seventies, eighties or nineties. You're going to, seventies, you're going to hear a lot of horns that yeah. you don't hear later on. And so you just kind of have to go with it. And I can go with that. It's, yeah. It doesn't did, didn't really bother me at all. Yeah, there's a later, and I can't remember what the name of the song is right now off the top of my head. But um, the scene in in the first the the born identity when he's driving the the little car through that that big long car chase scene that song is also mm-hmm. later used in another episode of, of the first season too. So it's very much all in that same, and that's right about the same time too um, that this came out. But uh, speaking of pop songs, so this was the most fascinating thing. Like I said, I was watching it and watching the DVD and whenever I'd get to a pop song, I'd pause it, queue up Disney plus and get to that same time signature and watch and see if they'd changed it. Uh, Cause I remembered I'd watched a little bit of the end and I noticed that the song is totally different and the tone is different. So there are two in the original version on the DVD. So by the DVD guys, uh, vertical horizon had two big okay. songs. They had, um, yeah, yeah, you're a god. Yeah, yeah. That they, no, they didn't play that one. They played "You're a God" when the first time when she walks out after the test. That's playing, so it's very upbeat and anthemic. 
and that's playing and it's exciting. And then at the end, um, uh, I can't remember what the name of the song is, but it's another vertical horizon song. I want to give you back. I think it's called something like that. And it's yeah, because again, the songs that are played on Disney plus are very generic. And I think that's yeah. why, why I didn't respond to them. That, that and I didn't it. like them either. And then the, the song when, um, right before she confesses what's going on, she goes and you actually see her turn. And this is really fascinating because she walks over and touches the stereo and turns it up. It's a different song. It's a cranberry song, which is dated, but it's because it's from the early 2000s. But, but it's, it's a, a cranberry, much, so it's automatically it's awesome. It's automatically awesome. You also have a Peter Gabriel song in the middle of also this Also automatically well. awesome. Uh, it's from the 70s, so it's not... Yeah, so you have these great songs. It's interesting that you have, but they leave the Cat Stevens song in. And then I think my favorite use of... of of music in this though is the Sinead O'Connor song at the end that that's and I know you guys mentioned that too that it doesn't really fit with the beginning while she's running but when she's kind of stalking into SD6 at the end it's like yeah <laughs> so it's interesting that there's certain songs that whatever you know licensing things are just weird right but I watched it on on Disney plus or when I was on Amazon I watched it there too and was like it's not the same you know you watch house on Amazon too and it's like it doesn't have the opening song just really the 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 theme song is different that's oh wow yeah and that was i love that song i can't remember where that's from right um dang i'm not someone if you're listening please you know send me an email hit me up on twitter let me know what it is because i can't remember right now call me out on my stuff for not remembering i should but right now it's skipping my head um and then uh we have a couple of um Oh, that was going to say so diegetic versus non-diegetic, right? That cranberry. Oh, it was massive song. attack, by the way. Massive Thank attack was the, the theme song to house. Yes, massive attack. That's right, obviously. Um, that that should be a cranberry song we hear is kind of non-diegetic, like the characters can't hear it, and then she turns it up. So apparently it is diegetic. So that's kind of a fun little uh fun, fun little twist. Reveal there, yeah. Right? Yeah, and it's kind of like James Gunn and Guardians of the Galaxy. Is it or is it not? Uh, and then, of course, when Danny proposes, he sings, and so that's diegetic and it's obnoxious. But yeah, and you yeah, guys that, talked that, about this that, episode. Yeah, that moment did not land for me at all. Uh, <laughs> I liked it the first time I saw it in Scream Two. Yeah, uh, when he when he sang, I think I love you in the in the uh, yeah. in the cafeteria. Yeah, it uh, that that seemed very very derivative to me. Well, he did mention that it was like on their first date, somebody else had done that thing, and so he was right. It was a callback for them. So he has no original ideas is what the character says. <laughs> Apparently. Well, he's not long for this <laughs> world, so it's okay. He won't be missed. Oh. Danny is gone. Yeah. Sorry, Danny. That was um, yeah. And then we get, yeah, we'll talk about that. Um, I always like voiceover. Voiceover is always fun. You get that great voiceover. She talks about her recruitment story, which starts as voiceover. And then it moves into a, into a, an actual conversation that they're finally having the conversation. We get to hear it uh, when they're out in the oil fields. Um, so that's, I just like how they kind of play with its voice. No, it's not. It is kind of voiceover. No, it's not. And then you have Danny's call as voiceover too, but then you also have that intercut with him talking and the message being intercepted and that just, I love that moment. I thought that was really cool how we're being, we're getting it in real time. Well, and, and it's also just another example of nothing is really what it seems, not even with the dialogue. Yeah. It starts off one way and you realize, oh wait, this is actually what's happening now. Yeah, love that. Which is, you know, thematically makes a lot of sense for this show. Yep. Uh, anything else sound you want to talk about before we move down to performance? 
No, I think I think that's good. I think, like I said, the 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 sound when the sound did not stand out to me. That's when I think when I say it's good, and mm-hmm. I I really would be interested to go back and watch it on DVD with the original music to see if it makes a difference in my overall opinion of this episode because that's those are big those are some big changes. Yeah, they really are. I apologize like- if you can hear my dog sneezing in the background. She has uh, horrible allergies, and uh, usually about this time every night she has a sneezing fit. He's like speaking of sound, not a problem, right? Uh, yeah, no, I, I highly recommend watching watching it on DVD. Again, I I fully admit to my bias of nostalgia glasses that might be or nostalgia earphones. I don't know, um, but it's a different experience if nothing else. I'd be surprised if my brother doesn't own this, so I'll have to see if I can borrow it from him. Check it out. So performances, um, I think they're great all around. I I, I thoroughly enjoy. It. I think Jennifer Garner is amazing. She is. Uh, in this, well, I think she's amazing. Period. But uh, in this show, she is very much like two different characters. Uh, and you know, she won Golden Globe this year. She was nominated, I think, every year the show was on. Had won this year, uh, which is which is awesome. I but I gotta tell you, the thing that um, when I first watched this, she was just a little bit older than me, which is interesting now because I look back and she's so young. She looks so uh, young, right? <laughs> she looks, so, but before she was like two years old, and I was like, man, she's hot. Um, and I was single at the time. It's fine. And, but now I watch it and I'm all about Jack Bristow. He is my, I think he's my favorite character on the show now. Oh. And I'm a dad too. So I'm just like, oh, but you haven't seen the show yet. You've only seen I the haven't. So, I haven't. And it's not, it's not that I don't like the character. I just, Victor Garber's performance, I have under him under the melodramatic category. Yeah. It feels very theatrical, which makes some sense given his background as a stage actor. He's sure. a very accomplished uh, theater actor. Yeah. But it feels like for the for most of the show, it feels like he's in a completely different show than everyone else. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Um, there, I mean, you'll find as you go through, and I do hope you do go through at least the first season. And I think if you get to, through the first season, you'll at least watch the second season. Is that he's very laconic, and everything that he says is very to the point in a way that's menacing, but also just so cool. Uh, you, you, he get to know him a little bit, but he, he does not open up very much at all. And, um, so he's, and the, some of the things he does later on, um, and again, I, I'm watching this from the lens of, I've seen it the whole show and, and there you go. But, well, but that, but that, 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 but that track, so that's fair. You know, yeah. it's, I don't know what's coming. And so I'm, I'm basing it just on this, this one episode and, and, uh, and it starts with his, his introduction when, when he, when he has the conversation over the phone with her fiance, Love that uh, so I immediately just don't like the way he handled that. And, um, and it doesn't seem like a, the way a human being would talk to another human being. But I also know that that's, like you said, that's kind of his character. Yeah. So, and I- I'm thinking of one blind in particular, and I can't remember the context, but somebody complains to some, to, uh, to him about something, and he just says, that is a concern that I do not have. <laughs> and he's like, that is so cool. Um, and I very, can see Victor Garber nailing that as well. Oh, so, it's, yeah, it's, I'm yeah, not surprised it's, at all. It's, it's so good. I did want to point out something that you guys, I, I'm going to just keep plugging your show. I thoroughly did hey. enjoy Even though you guys didn't like the pilot episode uh, of original, you, you guys did it. I want to argue about some of those things. Marshall. I love Marshall. I know he's melodramatic. And here's why I love Marshall. One, you get to see him develop throughout the show and he's less manic. But what I really love is that according to according to the actor, uh, let me look up who it is really fast. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Kevin Wiseman. Sorry. Kevin Wiseman. Kevin, yeah, I, I know him from Clerks too. Right. Um, he's doing a J.J. Abrams impression. Oh, that's funny. I can see that. 
<laughs> That's amazing. That. Yeah. And, and I, he's obviously he's the cue of the group. And, and, yep. and I get that. And, but uh, this this first scene, it it really was it was hard to watch because it, again, seemed very. It seemed very. College slash community theater to me, like he gotcha. seemed like he was playing. He was playing a type rather than a character. Sure. Yeah, and it it you know it's the first time he's played that character. It it's does TV develop. shorthand. I get I get it, and I assume that because he he's a, he's a very he's a good actor. He's a very good actor. Yeah. So I assumed that it was uh, something that he he would kind of grow on you and, and become a little more well rounded. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I like just seeing kind of Sydney's embarrassed for him, and you see that from Dixon too. Right. They're both they're they're aware of how awkward the situation is, and Sloan gets a little irritated with him. You'll you'll see that multiple times. That uh, uh, briefing scene, some version of that shows up frequently so um that that's fun you just kind of see oh you're kind of looking forward to that part of the episode much like you would with the q scene in in the bond movie right it's right like, oh this is the part where you get the one about the gadgets and that's fun i'm curious if there were any lines of dialogue or specific things that you liked that people said you know the dialogue didn't stick out to me uh normally it does um but i, I you know i've watched the show now three times uh, because over the last couple of years, I've watched this specific episode three or three or four times, but it's, it's odd because the only scene that really sticks out dialogue wise is the airport scene when she's, uh, asking the, the, at flight, att- the, uh, yeah. ticket agent about her lipstick. I thought that was great. And I thought, I thought Garner's performance in that scene was, was perfect. Um, but other than that, uh, the, I, I remember snippets of dialogue. Like I remember, um, Bradley Cooper's character talking about, you know, he's, he's a movie buff and he wants to go see, you know, whatever. I don't remember the movies he's trying to go see. And, uh, but more than that, it's, it's more the reactions that I, that I responded to more than the dialogue. Uh, his, his, for instance, Bradley Cooper's reaction when, uh, she tells him that her mm-hmm. fiance proposed or now fiance proposed and her reaction when she comes home and spoilers finds him dead, uh, in the bathtub. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought it was just, was, was phenomenal. Um, and it's odd because we had Angus Scrim as the uh, analyst that's testing Sydney, and his is the only character that feels very one note to me. But it's that's by design. Yep. Because it's Angus Scrim, and you get Angus Scrim when you need the tall man from Phantasm, because that's who he is. Um, and and I'm trying to remember any of his dialogue because he's one of those actors that anything he says is immediately memorable to me, regardless of what it is. But I'm drawing a blank on all of it, and I don't know why. Yeah. Because it's not like the dialogue is bad. It's a very well written show. I I will give it that. Um, it just none of the dialogue stuck with me as much as the as the reactions did. Sure, and and you do see McCullough a lot actually. So that's oh excellent. Look, yeah, look forward to that. Yeah, the two big ones I had were really just the Sydney and Sloan um, conversations. The, the one where she says, "You killed the man I love," and he responds, "No, Agent Bristow, you did." Was a great just kind of. Oh crap! You know, from a certain point of view, that's true. Right. And that's kind of how he's justifying it. And then uh, you guys talked about this too. You know, she says, "I'm back. I'm taking the week off. I've got midterms," which is fun. Yeah, that's you know. <laughs> true. I did. Love, I loved that line. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd forgotten about that when I did. I loved that line. Yeah, I'm doing what I want, and it's also kind of to tweak him because he's you know doesn't want her in grad school, but she's like, "I'm doing both these things." But yeah, I did have to, especially the her silent scream is so realistic when she comes in and sees Danny in the bathtub and just it's so long before it actually gets to anything vocal. Every time I watch it, I'm like waiting, waiting. And there it is. It's like, wow, that just it just feels real. 
it stops just short of being over the top and it's, yep. it, yeah, it, it is perfect. And that's when I realized, I mean, I've always liked Jennifer Garner. I, I you know, I, I've loved her in anything I've ever seen her in, but this is the first time that I've been really impressed with her as a performer, uh, as an actor, I should say, uh, that I've seen any kind of real, um, that, that sort of depth, that sort of emotional depth. Cause I, I know she can play comedy really well. Um, but this, this was a, a side of her that I hadn't seen before. And, and I also had Will's face, Bradley Cooper's character when, when he kind of play, tries to play it off. Yeah. Uh, you see him kind of just slow down and kind of stare off, you know, that thousand yard stare. And then, yeah, I'm going to get a couple more laps. And yeah, it's, it's like very subtle. And yeah. Bradley Cooper is one of my favorite actors working today. So that not no surprise there that I've responded to that. I think he's great. Yeah. And see, that's much like, you know, JJ Abrams will always have this. And so he has the benefit of the doubt. Every time I see Bradley Cooper, I'm like, that's Will Tippin for me. That's the first <laughs> thing I ever saw him in. So that, that's probably a weird experience for you. You're like, that's the guy from several other things. And then that's, but I'm like, yeah, that's the guy from Alias for me. So. And for me, oddly enough, he's face from the 18 movie, even though Dirk Benedict is face. Sure. Yeah. I thought his casting as face was so perfect in that movie. Oh, that that's, agreed. that's what I think of. Yeah. Yeah, he's a lot of fun in that. Um, so we're we're down to costumes, hair, and makeup. Uh, we talked a little bit. We talked about the bright red hair and and the mole. And this was something that you know I thought was was genius. How they had this little thing where she, you know, what's funny is is the the person she's impersonating, Will's sister, is actually the act that actress is also her stunt double. So I wondered a, about that because they do yeah. look a lot alike. Yeah, so that's a natural thing for them to kind of look alike, and then just to you know, she puts the mole on her face, and also on the ID, just to have that one distinguishing mark, uh, which is genius. And yeah, yeah her hair, yeah, her hair would obviously she wouldn't be able to. You have to bleach it first. You guys talked about that too, but um, it's a TV show, so it's a TV. Right, I'll, I'll give them that one. I'll give them that one. I'm going <laughs> in with that. I, I also had just it's again subtle stuff, but when she comes, you know, she goes right from her apartment. Uh, finding Danny in the bathtub right into SD6. And, you know, it's fairly subtle, but just her hair is kind of must and uh, smeared eye makeup. It's just, she just walked right in there and they sold it. Like she's, her grief is is tangible because of that. Yes. And um, after, uh, after the scene, that's after she get, you know have, has one of, at least one of her teeth ripped out. And we talked about this on the pilot episode, uh, the makeup job they did on her jaw to make it look just, just puffy enough. I thought it was phenomenal. It's very subtle, but it's very real. There's no bruising. Yeah. It's just there. And it's enough that, you know, it gets commented on by the, uh, the uh, agent that she talks to. He says, do you, you know, I can, do you need a dentist? It looks like you need to have some dental work done. Yeah. Uh, that was the thing that impressed me the most. You'll, you'll find as we talk about movies, the things that I key in on are the things that most people don't talk about for some That's reason. That's beautiful. Love it. It's stuff like that, that I get, that I really key in on that impresses me the most stuff that you, you might not notice if you weren't looking for it. Uh, and so that was, that was something that just really stuck out to me that, and that that's honestly probably the most impressive uh, piece of detail from this show was that, that makeup that they did on her jaw. Cause it no, didn't I make just, her look unglamorous. It just made it look like she was yeah. hurt. Yeah. That I love that's, that's a good analogy. Uh, and I love the fact that you just mentioned that agent as if it's a random guy, because, uh, Michael Vaughn, who the guy who she walks into and talks to, is a major player throughout all five seasons of the show. And, and I knew get that. To know I just can't remember well. his name. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally. Well, that's you've not seen the show nearly as many times as I have. So I just I'm loving the getting the 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 differing perspectives uh, on that. And I because I forget how little he's in this show. I see his name come up in the credits, and I'm like, oh, that's Michael Vaughn. Yeah, he's one of the big. And then he's in it for like five minutes. Well, and that. in this scene, he's very nondescript. 
mm-hmm. which which you would want in that character. You'd want someone who was fairly nondescript in that role, like in in, in that career, I should say. But uh, I can definitely see how there's, you know, once they add some layers to him and everything and give him, you know, flesh out his character a little bit more, he could be very interesting. But in this scene, he's he's very, uh, very nondescript to me. Right. And and Sydney doesn't trust him. Right. right. She And she has no reason to like him or anything like that. So it that that works. You know, she's he's just the guy in a suit that she's just happens to be the point of contact right now. Uh, so. Setting and design. This one uh, was the Emmy winner for Outstanding Art Direction for a single camera series in 2002, um, which is amazing. This One of the things that I always enjoyed about this show is that literally everything other than stock footage is all shot in California. And this is a very international show for five seasons, but every literally everything is in California. And it being in Los Angeles, they have access to many, many things. But I just thought that it was great. So it's fun to kind of Google those things. Where are all these things? You know, like for instance, um, it's the, uh, the Pasadena civic auditorium is the cultural affairs building. That's supposed to be in Taipei. You huh. know, that's just, that's just fun movie magic and like yeah. on a budget, right? It's a, you know, it's supposed to look cinematic. Um, but it's on a TV budget in the early 2000s and, and it's on ABC and you know, it's not on HBO. They're not going to spend, you know, it's not like rings of power or anything like that they're very limited budget. So money well spent. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, I did. I didn't realize that either. I mean, of course, it makes sense because they're they're not going to travel for a TV show. But yeah, that's 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 great. Yeah, um, there is. I will say at one point there is a there's a shot. I can't remember what season it's in. Uh, it's in three or four uh, where she goes to goes to Rio. Maybe not. It might be in the it might be in this season. I think it actually it's in this season where she goes by um, the giant statue of Christ in, in, in Brazil. Uh, and that's some really shoddy green screen. Um, but that's about the only complaint I have about the show ever. Uh, so another thing that I think is cool too, is that you could actually go and I haven't done this. It's weird. I've been downtown LA several times um, that the credit Dauphine is the Citibank center. I want to walk up there and see that place and just walk by. Yeah. That's to me is one of, if not the coolest things about visiting LA is being able to see all the locations you've seen in like TV and movies over your whole life. Last time I was there, we went to eat at El Coyote because of once upon a time in Hollywood. Nice. And if you watch the movie, you can see the booth that we sat in. That's fun. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. We we talked about when we did our Top Gun episode about all the places that were in San Diego. Uh, and then I got to I went back to San Diego this um, this last summer. And so I was like, I made a point to go to the Kansas City barbecue and and go. And that's the piano right there. And this is where. Nice. Yeah. So that was fun. Lots, lots of only- easy things to see for that place. Yeah, my only thing with San Diego is uh, I once uh, sang the theme to Simon and Simon while going over the bridge that was in the opening credits to the show. <laughs> nice. That is a deep cut right there. I did the same thing with WKRP in Cincinnati as I drove into Cincinnati for the first and only time. Beautiful. Yeah, this is my life, folks. This is what I do for fun. There you go. So, yeah, seriously, people, it's not hard to find these places, though. You just Google them. It's like they're all right here, um, which is cool. Uh, but set decoration, uh, I did mention, you know, that civic auditorium, the main thing, uh, is they have those red banners I thought were really with the oriental writing was very much like, Hey, this is in, this is in Taiwan. Right. Uh, you know, I, yep. I felt like that. Um, I love anytime I see pay phones because it, it's kind of quaint at this point. Yeah. 20 years later and people do not know what they are. <laughs> no. I'm a payphone. Like nothing, nothing dates a television, a television show or movie quicker than cell phone slash payphone. Right. Like that's it. Other than like razors, because those were cool for like a long time. It's hard to tell what what year that is, but payphone is like, yeah, that's early. 
Well, and if it's not a smartphone, you know, it's, you know, it's, you know, post it's pre like 2010 at least. Yeah. Um, I love that SD six, um, kind of has that, you know, it's a bank. It's very nice up at the top and then they go down. It's very utilitarian. We have like the visible cables hanging down from the ceiling and the concrete walls are kind of chipped and stuff and, um, very kind of seedy, which fits right. Because they're not the good guys. You know, oh, absolutely. You definitely know you're in, you're in someone's lair. Right. At that point. That's the best way I can describe it. it. It looks like a lair. Yeah. And you know, um, Sydney's apartment. That was the other thing, the way that's dressed when it's just tossed. Uh, but you mean, askew. you mean the apartment that a graduate student and a medical <laughs> student could afford <laughs> in LA, in LA. Yeah. That's bigger than the house I grew up in. Yeah. It's totally television. Yeah. I, I say that's very TV normal. Yes. Uh, that's, meaning that's what a TV exec thinks normal places look like. No. And large homes are affordable for college students. Yeah. They have all this time off in the middle of the day. Uh, and this massive, massive place they're living in. I don't, I don't think it's so. like if you ever watch Twin Peaks, the uh, population is listed as 50,000 and it's clearly <laughs> a town of less than 5,000. Yeah, that's true. Don't do the, try to do the math. Um, so, uh, props wise, I want to point out the fact real fast, the, the Mueller device, um, you're going to find out in the second episode, spoiler alert, that Mueller is not the one who invented that. He's the one that built it. But that's actually connected to Milo Rimbaldi. And that's the overarching mythology that's going on with the show. Much like, the, I think you guys made this analogy too, kind of like the X-Files where there is the case of the week and then there's like the overarching thing. Right. Which is a, it's a blessing and a curse for this show because it would be very hard to crack into the show having not seen the first season because they set up a lot of stuff that is kind of seeded throughout, like Lost was too, like as complicated with this overarching mythology and, and these themes coming back. And, and if you get rewarded for paying attention and haven't been a loyal fan, but it's very hard to crack into. I loved that stuff. Cause I was like, yep, I've seen it from the beginning. I know that payoff, that character who we thought was dead shows back up again, those kind of things. But there's a, that's one of the one of the things that in the pilot episode, they're seeding something that's going to be massive all the way through up until the finale of the show. And so that's kind of fun for me. Kind of like when you see like the first episode of Lost where Sawyer's looking at that letter. Uh, if you remember back to that one, that's kind of a deep cut too. But there are another there are big... show I've only seen the first episode of. Oh my gosh. Love that yeah. show too. Okay. Um, but yeah, the Mueller device is huge. We talked a little bit about Marshall and his Q moment. So you have the the lighters, RF scrambler. That's fun. Lipstick camera. Um, all that interrogation equipment, like pulling out the teeth. We mentioned that before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of uh, Chekhov's guns in in, in this episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That yeah, you know, they get introduced and they get and they get uh, they get they, it pays off later. It's very much a, very much a diehard script where everything that you get introduced to gets paid off uh, yeah. by the end. Yeah, and see, again, I love listening to your show before I did this because I wanted to bring this up, and I'm so glad you did. There's an episode in this first season uh, that is essentially diehard on Alias. Single building. Oh, nice. Yeah. And Quentin Tarantino guest stars. He's the bad guy. There's lots of great guest stars on this show throughout. Tons. Roger Moore's in the first season. Um, and as a nod to that, they, they come up, the, the all the terrorists show up in a like an air conditioning van. And it says McTiernan on it. Nice. Who's, of course, the director of Die Hard. Right. Um, I know you know that, but I make sure our audience says that too. But so it's like, yes, we're, we're, doing, we're doing Die Hard, just so you know, uh, which is a lot of fun. And this time I really loved how she broke that mop in half and it just started clubbing dudes with it. 
Oh, it was great. Yeah, that's that's when she goes into action hero mode. Yeah, it's it's yeah. it's really great. So so after she she breaks the or she breaks the mop in, into a club, which is after she does the Black Widow chair flip thing. Yeah, it's so cool. Which is again, we talked about this before. Like it's the first time we've seen this thing, or it's you know it's the same exact thing that that Joss Whedon has, has her pull in in Avengers, right? It's eleven years earlier. I was like, oh, that's so cool. Yep. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if so, Buffy did it before this or not, but it's definitely at least one of the first times we've seen it. That's true. I've been rewatching Angel recently, introducing that to my kids. Um, my wife wanted to watch that, so we've been kind of checking that out too. I'm off topic. I'm one, of that same thing. Pre- I'm one of the people who prefers Angel to Buffy because. So I why? like the theme. I like the theme of Buffy is making your decisions and Angel is about having to live with the decisions you've made. And I, that just speaks more to me. Yep. It's a much more so, mature show. I, I yeah. should definitely do that at some point. The thing I liked about that too was, you know, Buffy was very much the, um, the bad guy of the week type of thing. And there was kind of an overarching villain at the end, but there Wolfram and Hart was always in the background with Angel. Right. There was always another shoe that was going to drop. And so there was just this level of gravitas with that too. But yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I diverged just a little bit. Rabbit trail is not hard to get me to do. Um, characters, uh, we're going to shoot down there. We talked a lot about Sydney Bristow, just amazing. Jennifer Garner is great in the show. I don't know what else we can say about her. Um, yeah, I don't want ever see want to see the show rebooted. It doesn't need to conclude uh, a sequel series. It ended in a really well, uh, really good way, which hopefully you'll get to. And I'd love to hear the report on that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she is great is in the role. My my only problem with with the character is the the initial choice to tell her fiance everything. Uh, did she not realize it would endanger him? But that's that's nothing to do with Jennifer Garner's performance. That's yeah. that's the writing. That's the initial incident that sparks all the rest of this stuff, right? Right. Um, so the movie can happen. Um, Ron Rifkin is great as Arvin Sloan. He's going to be always very... great. He's one of those guys that anytime you see him, you he's always entertaining. He's going to be, you know, he is in a lot of ways pure evil, but I think. As you get into the show, you're going to find really what it is, is he has his own agenda. Right. More than anything else, he's kind of almost amoral. And if it line, if what you want and what he wants lines up, then he's a good guy for right now. And then as soon as those things are misaligned, now he's on the other side. It's really is very much that he's like, this is what I want and just don't get in my way. Um, Michael Vartan is Michael Vaughn uh, is again, barely in this episode, but he'll be huge later. Bradley Cooper's in this for at least the first two seasons. No spoiler there. That's a minor, that's probably a minor spoiler. He doesn't die. That's not a spoiler. Okay, he doesn't die. Yeah, but he keep just, watching. He, he he started in the hangover and had better things to do. Yeah. Uh his yeah, there was less for him to do in this show. Um, I just Marin want to Dun- know in what world is he not the dreamboat that Sydney falls for? In what world is Bradley Cooper in your I mean, I, he makes me keep, question things. Keep watching. Just keep watching. Okay. Um okay. Francie is in this show a lot. You guys asked about that. Um, that she becomes a very important character, uh, as does Marcus Dixon, Carl Lumbly, the always great Carl Lumbly. Love Carl Lumbly, yep. especially his uh, work on uh, his voice work as a uh, voice actor sure. is great. Yep. Uh, we talk about Kevin Wiseman as Marshall Flinkman. He'll evolve in this character a lot. Um, Victor Garber is, I think, like I said earlier, I think he's my favorite character now. As I've watched this multiple times and just... You know, you have, otherwise you're going to get bored. You kind of have to watch it for a different reason or from a different lens. And as I've gotten older, I'm significant. I'm 20 years older now than I was when I first watched it. And I'm a dad. So you'll see him kind of take on more of a paternal role from time to time. And that it makes sense. It, you really. see it in that last scene. You see a yeah, different side of him in that last you do. scene. And that, that almost won me over to him in that scene. I was like, okay, I yep. kind of get where this guy's coming from. Yep. 
And of course, Greg Grunberg shows up for like 10 seconds at the end and he'll be in it more too. Right. And he's, he's great when he's in the show. He's not in it a ton, but you, you look forward to when he's, when he's in the show. Uh, I did mention, yeah, and that, that's you, you, everything you said was basically my my take on everything as well. Um, okay, yeah, I, uh, Marin Dungey as as Francie, I you know didn't really make much of an impression here, but uh, I get that she's sort of her 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 support network, if you will. Yeah, she's yeah she's the one that's kind of tying her to her regular life at this point. Um, she's the Xander of this of the show, <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Love Xander, I miss Xander. Oh, I would she didn't get me talking about Buffy again. Um, <laughs> we mentioned how uh, the, so the movie can happen. This is kind of a hero's journey moment. This is like, you know, this is the call to adventure is kind of when she, when Danny dies, right? This is when um, she finally, for it's been seven years, which I'm always amazed. And I, it, you don't really know unless you're just listening carefully to a voiceover that it's been seven years that she's been living this double life until it finally snaps and you know the veil is torn back and she gets to see what's actually going on. That's kind of, that's and that's what's wild time. to me is that she's. I didn't. I didn't pick up on that, uh, and that makes it even wilder to me that she would endanger him by revealing it to him. And then it took her because to me in this episode, her hero's journey is really figuring out that she can't live that double life, like you said, and yeah. knowing that she's been doing it for seven years. I'm like, well, you just the only reason you screwed it up is because you told somebody the truth. Yeah, and there's going to be a lot of that through, the, especially the first season where she's kind of, I don't want this, I do want this, I have to do this. Kind of that cycle just keeps happening throughout. You know, I think, you know, she has that conversation with Dixon, you know, like she wants to justify it, you know, and he's very right. much hardline, like she's married to an analyst, right? You know, where a guy works at the bank, right? That's I'm a great scene too. I'm protecting her from scene. the truth. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Yeah, I, I love Dixon too. And the more you get into this, you, he's a character that you will really enjoy. You'll really like him a lot. Uh, I did mention uh, the Rambaldi as far, as far as the world building. It starts here. It's gonna. There's not a ton of it in this one, other than the fact that we kind of have this balance between, you know, our world essentially, and then below the surface you have kind of the spy world that's happening this whole time that we didn't really know uh, what's going on. Even you know, fr uh, Francie and Will don't know her her double life, which is. That's, I mean, that's kind of the conceit of at least the first season and, and into the second season is she's not only having to risk her life doing these missions, but she also has to keep that truth from her closest friends. And so there's this continual tension between that. That's kind of the, the big pitch for this, for this show. And, and that's, that's the interesting thing that that's the hook for me as well is uh, this, this double life that she's having to lead. That's, that's the more interesting, interesting part to me than it would be watching a spy show, like a mission impossible show is what is the daily life of a spy? Like, you know, we kind of right. saw it a little bit in true lies. Um, yep. So I would, I would, uh, yeah. And, and that, that's what I'm more interested in anyway. Yeah. And again, I, I'll put my plug in for, um, I guess I'm kind of moving down into final thoughts, which is, it's a natural progression is, is if you liked mission impossible three, but haven't really given alias a chance, watch at least the first season. It's readily available now on Disney plus, um, forget about the music. Just know that it's going to suck. Right. And then uh, see, now I've lowered your expectations. Um, Jaquino's score is fantastic. I think it's great. I, I think you can get past it. Um, the, the pop music or whatever, but um, if you liked Mission Impossible Three, I think you'll really like at least the first two seasons of of Alias. I will give it a shot. Okay. But as far as yeah, if if we're two final thoughts, my I, I mentioned earlier, I sort of uh, teased that uh, I thought the show should have ended uh, well before it did. I thought the end of this episode should have been when she walked past out of the building, and you saw that she was at the Central Intelligence Agency. She walked over the uh, the, uh, the 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 logo on the floor. 
I thought that should have been the final shot of this episode. We cut to credits and we see everything after this is the opening of the next episode. Yeah. Cause that's a natural jumping on point for the next episode to me. I thought it would have been a much stronger series because everything after that just feels um, very tacked on. It feels like it goes on for way too long. Yeah. To me. And like I said, you, you get into it after this episode, it's going to, it's going to rush those, those 43 minutes are going to feel like 10. I'm sure. And this was 56 minutes versus 42. So it, that probably was the 42 minute mark. Yeah. Which is why it felt like a nat- natural end point. Yeah, it probably was. And then, you know, the, I think you guys did also mentioned how you frequently they'll have the, the opening credit thing will pop up like 10 minutes in. It's super late. You're like, oh my gosh, I, this was whole opening sequence. I was right. sucked in. Um, a lot like a James Bond film too, where you kind of have the two things going on. Uh, there's just like the min- little mini mission that wraps up and then you have the, the overarching thing. And that's, again, this is another show that this is that another kind of first that it was doing. We didn't see that very often before this, but now like we've been watching evil on Paramount plus, and you can be 15 mm-hmm. minutes into a 42 minute episode before you get to the credits. Yeah. That's another good show. The opening credits. Yeah. So, but Jeff- I, I will say I was, I was very yeah. surprised. One thing I would say is I was very surprised at the graphic nature of the violence in this considering it was 20 years ago, how far mm. they went with the tooth extraction sequence. I, it was, it was harrowing especially for network TV 20 years ago, had this been on like, you know, FX or a basic cable or even pay cable, it would have made much more sense. But this being on a network television show really surprised me that they went that far with it. Yeah. And that won't be the last time that that'll, that'll occur. So it's, yeah, it's, it's very, So I I will say my opinion hasn't changed on this episode since I watched it two years ago, but I do get why it is so beloved. I get why, why you watched it, what, three, four or five times. Uh, I get why people love it. And so I definitely will give it a chance. I, I promise you, Craig, I will give it a chance. <laughs> there you go. And everybody else out there, if you haven't watched the show, watch the show. It's just give it a try. It's on Disney plus. It's super easy to get to for. There was a long time where it was not ava- readily available. And that's why I was like, I need to buy the DVD. Uh, and I still would recommend that, but what are you going to do? So uh, before we get out of here, Jeff, what uh, let us know where we can find you uh, and your shows. If you have anything new coming up that you want to share or any of that stuff, feel free to plug away. And much like the episode of Alias that we just watched, this is where people will say the show should have ended five minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> so I, uh, uh, I, I am the uh, producer of the Marvin Nerd Media Podcast Network. Uh, there you can find, as Craig and I have been talking about, the pilot episode, which is uh, a podcast that I do with my friends Corey and Regina, where we watch and review the first episode of a different TV series every time out and talk about how it set up the show that followed and how it compares to the show that followed. And we have another show called The Saturday Morning Supercast that I do with the same Corey and our friend Olivia, where we uh, review uh, Saturday morning cartoons from our childhood, along with a breakfast cereal that was on shelves at the time the cartoon aired because I'm a huge breakfast cereal fan. Uh, It's more fun than it sounds, I promise. Uh, I also do Talking Toys with Taylor and Jeff. We just uh, celebrated our 10-year anniversary a couple of months back. Uh, So we've been doing it since 2012 uh, with my friend, you may have guessed, his name is Taylor. And uh, we review vintage toys from the 70s up through the the 90s. We've actually done a few from the early aughts. Uh, Taylor is a big fan of the, uh, there's a G.I. Joe line, I can't remember, uh, Sigma 6, Six Sigma, something like that. Whatever the is not the business thing, uh, from like 2008. That's I believe the newest one we've discussed. That we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, you can find those all at marvindogmedia.com or anywhere you go for podcasts. And in addition to that, it's not technically a part of the network, but my buddy Matt Moore and I have a show called Star Wars Splash Page that comes out every Wednesday where we review 
the uh, Star Wars comics that are releasing that week. And awesome. that that uh, that drops on Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Central Time. So if you have if you're reading the books, you want to wait until after you've read the books to hear our thoughts. But if you're not reading the books and you just want to know what's happening, it's a good resource for you. We have a lot of fun with that. Cool. And as yeah. of right now, that's it. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I'll have links to all that stuff and your social media stuff in the in the show notes so people can easily find that and talk to you and uh, get some more information if they need to. And, and you can follow Marvin Dog Media on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at the Jeff McGee. Uh, and uh, we also have Facebook pages for all the shows as well. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback, and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast. If you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies. And one last thing. Our next episode will be a review of Die Hard. We talked about Die Hard today, which is fun. John McTiernan's Die Hard from 1988. I did that on purpose. That's beautiful. You seeded that in. Please, if you can, send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Die Hard, and we'll share it on the next episode. <laughs>